Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 9th, 2017. It's a Wednesday, and that means it is time for an interview show. Today's show is going to be about starting homesteading a little bit later in life, like in your 50s, and being brand new when you do it. And uh, doing it from the standpoint of being the, the, the matriarch of the family, the mom, the, the woman, and also being the prepper. So we have a female who is the prepper in the family and kind of the leader of this homestead thing, you know, in, in her 50s, kind of giving a shot at this thing. Uh, the gal's name is Thesha Ellis. She is a member of our community. She's been listening to us for quite a while. And uh, she does some pretty cool stuff, and we'll have her on in just a minute. And I think it'll be cool because it's a perspective that I don't think we get enough of on the Survival Podcast. So uh, we'll uh, bring in some female energy today. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is JM Bullion. JM Bullion is a great place to buy your ammo. And I wanted to let you know, I checked out their website today, and you know it's been hit or miss with 22 long rifle ammo since... Psh, Obama was president like the first time, right? It's just been crazy. It's been getting a little bit better. Right now over at BulkAmmo.com, do you know what they have? A 3,250-round case of Federal Auto Match ammo for 189 bucks. No, I didn't say 325 rounds. I said 3,250 rounds, 22 long rifle, Federal Auto Match 40 grain lead round nose, your standard 22 long rifle, $189 for a case of over 3,000 rounds. You too can be targeted by uh, the ATF for being crazy because you have thousands of rounds of ammo, which just makes sense for 22. They also have a lot of other great stuff, so check them out today. BulkAmmo.com. You know what, though? Sponsor number two is a great one to have paired with, uh, with Bulk Ammo because it's Precious metal, right? I see ammo as like the other precious metal, copper, jacketed lead. Well, what about real precious metal like silver and gold? Jam bullion is a great place for that. Remember, guys, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, they're going to be given tons of plastic crap throughout their whole lives to where they're giving it away to Goodwill and stuff like that. Most of it will break. They won't remember it. But one of the great things you can do besides just investing in it in yourself is invest in children with silver and gold. Jam Bullion has a lot of options for that. They can help you out with silver and gold for your IRAs as well. Check them out today, jambullion.com. And remember, MSB members, you guys get a freaking discount at Jam Bullion. No one gets a discount. Discount on precious metals, but you guys do. So that's cool. Let's take a look now at the year that was. The year that was the year 41. Um, I have for you one today from uh, David Verne, and it is Caligula is assassinated. Is anybody surprised? Is anybody surprised that this lunatic got whacked by his own soldiers? Yeah, here we go. As a, me a member of the Praetorian Guard by the name of Cassius Chassere, I guess, has grown sick of Caligula singling him out and mocking him as effeminate for a genitalia injury he suffered while on campaign. Chare approached several senators and agreed to be the inside man. He had the approval of the, Patri the Praetorian prefect, 
who was under investigation for treason. See, if you turn everybody into an enemy, nobody defends you anymore, guys. Just saying. Caligula had been speaking from to some actors about a performance when Sharia, I can't just say his name right, I'm going to just call him Sharia from now on, and two other guardsmen approached and stabbed him to death. Caligula was 28 years old and had led Rome for four years. The three then entered the palace and killed Caligula's wife and daughter, but they couldn't get to his uncle Claudius. The rest of the Praetorian Guard recognized the need for a successor and hustled Claudius out of the palace. They found him hiding behind a curtain to the safety of their camp. Claudius, the younger brother of Germanicus, had been one of the few family members to survive the purges of Sinjanus, Tiberius, and Caligula because he was considered a bumbling idiot and made great joke material. The Senate was arguing among themselves over who should be emperor when the Praetorians announced Claudius was emperor. They hoped to control who they saw as a weak fool of an emperor. They would soon find out Claudius the fool seems to have been not so much a fool after all. Claudius had some sort of a tick, possibly polio or Tourette's, though it's unknown, when he was a child and was considered a monster by his mother. She would use him as a benchmark for stupidity. After some tutelage, Claudius showed great talent in public oratory, even though he still suffered in private conversation, was praised by the family. After finding that he enjoyed history, he began writing a history of the Civil Wars. But the family found it too critical, a.k.a. AKA accurate, of Augustus's rise to power. The family decided it was too risky to let him lead a public career, and he rather contentedly began a private life as a scholar and a writer. He stayed below the radar and refused appointment as heir to Tiberius. Claudius wrote several works on history, though he ignored the civil wars and became somewhat well-known and well-liked throughout the empire as one member of the family not getting involved in politics. He was thrust into the public life by Caligula, who made him a consul, but this was only to humiliate and force him to pay enormous sums of money. I often wonder if Claudius wasn't actually as clumsy and stupid as he let on. Um... He probably wasn't, and I think we'll see some things from Claudius the Emperor that are unexpected coming soon. But this is an example of people that stay out of the way of the lunacy sometimes in the end to end up at the head of the table. My take by Jack Spirico. Hey guys, I want to let you remind you one more time before we get into today's show that you can help support this show by becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade or the Survival Podcast MSB. Guys, I'll tell you what, I couldn't do this show without you members. So those of you who are members or have been members at any time, let me say thank you. Those of you that really like the work that we do and want to make sure that it continues, check out the MSB. And remember, it's not a donation. Um, there's enough discounts in the MSB alone, just on that benefits page, that should more than pay for your membership. Check it out. comes out to about 18.3 cents an episode. And with that, I want to introduce our special guest, Thesha Ellis. Hey, Thesha, welcome to the Survival Podcast. How's it going? It's going great. I mean, I'm I'm having a blast. I'm, I was checking out my uh, my outline for your interview. I think we're going to have a lot of fun here. Um, we're here to have you talk about learning the homestead a little later in life, and as a woman, being the prepper in the family, which I think is cool. It's a perspective we don't get enough on the air. There's a lot more of that out there than I think people realize. Before we get into where you are now, can you give us like the short bio of of yourself, like? you know, how you started out and how you ended up where you are, that type of thing. Okay. Hmm. Reader's Digest version. Yeah. I was, I was born in 1962. Oh, yeah, happy birthday. Your birthday was the other day. Mine was yesterday. Oh, happy birthday so, to you, too. <laughs> okay. So 
I was raised to think that to, to, if you learn to tie and learn to file, you have a job for the rest of your life. And it took me the hard way going through life to decide that was not the way to do it. I uh, was married, moved to Alaska, and uh, then moved to Texas. I lived down in Waco, south of you, uh, and uh, then moved to California. Finally moved back to Oklahoma and uh, married to my wonderful husband now. We'll be, we'll be married 11 years in uh, November. And I have two grandchildren. Uh, one of them is with me now. She's my sidekick. She's the one that Kenzie's Candles is named after, that we'll talk about later. And uh, she stays with me a lot. Uh, and then I have another grandson named Joseph. Um, I've learned to work a lot of jobs. I've done things all the way from reading electric meters to picking tomatoes in a field to working in an office and to running businesses. Gotcha, gotcha. So what... What led you to decide, you know, at, at some point in life, and I don't think it's been that long ago, that you wanted to, to kind of do the go back to the land thing and start homesteading? What led you to start that journey? Okay, well, there, was, there were several things that, that uh, started that. Um, Tom inherited some land. Uh, it's, we share a 40-acre plot with two of his sisters. So we own the middle of 13 and 3rd acres. It's reclaimed focus. So you can, I can, you can tell me what kind of land that is. <laughs> and uh, so we decided we were going. To, we planted a vineyard in in '08, and it's not when we drilled the ground. Grease rags came up out with the auger and stuff like that. And at the same time, I got sick. I come down with some sort of autoimmune disease. Every joint in my body started hurt, hurting real bad. I was sleeping like 18 hours a day, and uh, and then my husband got depressed and. Uh, Real bad depressed. We lost a couple of businesses over it. And um, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm getting older. I do not have a retirement because I always, you know, was told to rely on the man to take care of the family. And then sometimes they just can't. So I'm thinking in my 50s, what the heck am I going to do with no retirement and a husband that is in ill health? And I don't want to work in an office. I don't want to work for anybody else anymore. And I can't afford to go buy Whole Foods to have clean food, because the more I learned about our food, the more I thought it was awful. So I decided I wanted to try to to work on this land, get some animals, get things going, and, and uh, try to build some businesses up and learn what I'm doing so that even if something does happen to my husband, I, by the God, I can take care of myself and maybe a few other people too. So you kind of alluded to it there with some details, but can you tell us a little bit more about this land that you're trying to work on? Okay. Yeah, it was strip mined, I believe, in the late 70s and early 80s. It's coal pits. Uh, I was not around at the time, so I didn't see it. Okay, hold but, on a second uh, there for me. And this is, this is in Oklahoma, right? Northeast Oklahoma, yeah. Okay. We're in an area where they did a lot of strip mining. They're still doing some strip mining over in our, in our uh, part of the woods. Wow. And, I just yeah. didn't know that. I mean, I grew up with, you know, strip mining and the remains of strip mining all around me in, in, in central Pennsylvania. I, did, I didn't know that was even done down there. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just I wasn't aware of that. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's fine. In fact, there's a, uh, there's a place to our west that every once in a while you can uh, hear them uh, do um, where they some explosions where they're trying to you know break up the ground to do some more mining. So it's still going on, but not like it was in the 80s. But it has been reclaimed. Basically, they bulldozed it. And so, like I said, when we were, when you, when you uh, do an auger for uh, putting the uh, grapevines in, it has to go 18 inches deep. And we, we had grease rags wrapped around the, the auger. Uh, and, of course, as ours is reclaimed pretty good. We don't have a lot of rock like some of them do. Some of them have huge boulders on their property. 
but but just big pipes and stuff heave up out of the ground uh, when we have frosts or rain or something like that. So I'm always pulling weird stuff. We even found the solenoid of a of a vehicle, and I found out why the solenoid and the grease rag was because where we put the vineyard was actually where they have the uh, where they worked on the vehicles there. So that that's why we have so much some of the a diff, different kind of stuff in our in our uh, place. But it doesn't have very very much topsoil at all. Lots of shale, and uh, uh, it's just not good land. <laughs> I understand. I mean, I of all people understand. Um, so, what are your plans on on dealing with that land and, and and maybe doing some things to help it heal? Well, the first thing I try to do is get some chickens, and I do have a pretty good flock of laying birds. And uh, in fact, we're in the process of changing that right now because uh, Tom took an old. Um, a boat trailer and built a chicken coop on top of it and uh, so that's considered my mobile egg unit but the rest of my um, system the the pen itself is not very mobile but we do have some uh, uh, electronic uh, poultry net coming in the mail pretty soon because I'm going to start moving them around the ground because where they've been the ground has improved dramatically but I got a whole lot of acreage I got to get covered and I do have my first 15 or first 13 meat birds and I'm going to put them in a different uh system so uh, I believe later on this month we're supposed to get some piglets and we're going to start trying to do some pigs and um, so I'm going to start moving um, animals around I do have also another thing that I have is uh, I've got several mounds of wood chips because every time I saw somebody doing tree work I pulled over and said who's in charge and I have your wood chips would you dump it on my place this is it right here you know so I've got I think I've got about 15 to 20 mounds of wood chips that I, that I need to integrate, but it's hard to do with just a wheelbarrow and a shovel. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you can get it in that quantity, some sort of front loader would be just a godsend. But, I mean, that's <laughs> that's gold. I mean, that yeah. every place we've dropped that on this property is just a different place after you do it. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I wanted, I'd like to do the mob grazing. I think what I'd eventually like to do for sure is start out with cattle. And then move the chickens, I mean, not the chickens, but the pigs behind them, and then have them finish out on the chickens, and then work them around on a 40-day route. I'm not sure. That's that's somewhere in the future, but I'm working toward it anyway. So kind of what are your total livestock goals? Is that kind of like a pig, chicken, cow system? Is that where you're going? Are you trying to do it more for home production, or are you using home production to feel out and get numbers for some sort of market product or... Yeah, I'm going to start certainly with home production, but as I learn what I'm doing, I've already got several egg customers. Uh, we we had we go through about 30 dozen eggs a week uh, to different customers. I need to expand that, and uh, so I'm going to have the egg layers. I'm going to I'd like to expand with uh, meat birds. There's another guy at the farmers market that we attend that uh, he's doing meat birds, and he is sold out for the next two months hmm. with his. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that won't hurt anything if I become part of the competition. So I want to do that and uh, because I eat pork, and I don't eat a lot of beef, but I don't want goats. So <laughs> no, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure what to put first. You know, goats or sheep is kind of the first thought, you know, and then to follow with pigs. But uh, we do have a lot of cattle in the area. This is definitely grazing area. Uh, but I want, I want to do the like the mob grazing and, and paddock shifting and stuff. So that's what I'd like to do. But I, So I think the most logical uh, thing would be to start with some cattle. 
Gotcha. Yeah. That's cattle country. Um, yeah. So, you, 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 your husband, Tom, he's the, the bee guy? Or, or, or what's, what's up with, what's going on with the bees? Yeah, he's a beekeeper. He started out about five years ago, and I was actually very surprised because he's one of those that starts things and kind of leaves them on me. Like, he finds a vineyard and he hasn't walked into it for three years, so that's my baby now. But he has really taken off with the bees and has done an excellent job. He enjoys them thoroughly. He got to go um, with a, he, he's not a commercial beekeeper, but he does go help. And so uh, when when they send bees to California uh, to do the almond trees, mm-hmm. that's like in February, and that's only for a couple of weeks. Well, in February and early March, it's uh, we don't have enough forage up here, so there are huge bee yards down closer to Houston. And uh, so um, the bee commercial beekeeper he works with, he got to go down there this this uh, spring and help do splits and make more hives. And, and I'm not sure how they do the queens, but they actually have queens that they put in all these. And they can do three or four splits from one hive because they're pretty strong when they come back from California. And then a month or two later, uh, they bring them back up. Here's when our forage in, in northeast Oklahoma is better. So that part of the payment on that is you bring home splits. So he ended up coming home with 14 splits. So he's up to 26 hives now. Wow. And wow. yeah, and he's really good at speaking with people. He likes to go talk to kids at school. Um, are you familiar with an observation hive? How how those are set up? Yeah, yeah, those are cool. But go ahead and tell the audience, you know, so they because maybe not everybody knows. Okay, uh, Tom has an observation hive. This one only holds one frame. And what he does is he takes one frame out of the hive and uh, places it in this uh, observation thing. It's, it's set in plexiglass, so the bees can't get out and, and get to people, and there are holes on the side that are screened off that, uh, that provide air for the bees, and we take it to the farmer's market, and we did a market last night at another thing, and, and it's, a very, it's a good draw as a market, and it gives us an opportunity to talk. And when he puts a frame in there, like the frame he put in there last night, it, uh, people don't know it. And I didn't realize it until he started doing this. Is usually the outside edges of the frame are the, the, the honey at one point. It, later on, they'll fill it back out. But usually start out in the right outside, the top right and top left corners of these frames with honey. And then in the center of the frame is where the brood is. And then all the empty cells in between that have nectar in them. And then so what they'll do the uh, frequently the as the bees hatch and move come out, that leaves that space for them to fill it with nectar. And before before long, the whole frame is full of honey and cap, and that's what we usually end up harvesting. But but we get to see it throughout the year of different stages of, of capped honey or not capped honey. And, and uh, it's kind of cool if the market's slow, you can actually sit there and watch. I, I've watched a couple of bees being hatched as they eat their way out of their, uh, out of their little cell. So it's pretty cool. But this gives us an opportunity to uh, educate people uh, on, on bees and, and um, some of their, their characteristics and stuff. And, uh, and so, He's really good at, at, at uh, talking to kids and doing stuff with them. Um, he does, We do sell honey. We, he collects pollen for allergies because we are pretty kind of here in the western, eastern Oklahoma. There's a lot of allergies, so we get to do that. Uh, he's doing uh, high splitting, and he does mentor several other people uh, who are learning to become beekeepers. They, they call him quite a bit. So I'm, I'm really proud of him for, for how much he's learned and how much he's passing on. And, and uh, it's, it's been a really good thing for us. Very cool. I mean, is it is it 
turning into any kind of a profit center at all? Yeah, I think so. In fact, I forgot to mention, he's actually leaving to go to Wisconsin. The same uh, commercial beekeeper that he went to help down in Texas has already sent, I think, 600 hives to Wisconsin for uh, for foraging and, and getting honey up there. And he's going to go up there and help that man extract honey. Uh, Kenzie, my granddaughter, uh, helps us too. And this last weekend on our hive, we pulled 47 frames of honey to uh to make and and so yeah we sell it at farmers markets and it actually is this is the first year it's become profitable for us because you know when you have that many hives you're talking about boxes on top of them some of them for supers and some of them for more brood or you know it just it's expensive to start out but yeah we're in the first year of actually starting to become a little bit profitable with this honey yeah i kind of learned that i I just do it as a hobby but even with four hives you're starting you're like wow i could have I could have bought a lot of honey <laughs> yeah. for the bees, the boxes, you know. And I could, if I wanted beeswax, I could have bought some wax too. It's, but it, it does it does work out in the end. But it is definitely a front loaded type of situation, you know. Um, and I think part of it is we try to do a really good job as beekeepers today with everything perfect. Like back in the day, they wove up a skep and they threw bees in there, and if they didn't live, they didn't live. Um, yeah. You know, and they 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 they'd split them in the winter when they were frozen, and the ones that were weak, they just stick them in the water and they drown the hive and, and collect the honey out of them. So I think we try to do a better job today, and it takes a little more work, but I think it's a lot more productive. It just takes time. So another thing that you're doing is this thing called Kinsey's Candles. What's up with mm-hmm. Kinsey's Candles? Kinsey is my granddaughter. She's going to turn 11 next month, and I am trying. And she has an older brother who's 15, but we don't get to see him as much as we like. But I am trying to teach my grandchildren how to think and how to take care of themselves. And so we take uh, my husband's leftover beeswax. And, and uh, for a while, we were going around to uh, all these different little um, uh, little shops and looking for cheap uh, cups and stuff and pouring up beeswax candles. And, and that's been really fun. And so I'm teaching her. She, she created the logo for it. And I was real proud of her for that. In fact, she decorates my egg cartons for me, too, because we're trying to learn marketing and stuff together. So uh, we do the beeswax candles. I'm going to start doing some uh, scented candles, probably like with eucalyptus oil and stuff like that, uh, essential oils, because I've noticed that even though I like my candles and they're cute in their cute little cups, everybody smells the candles. But that's okay. <laughs> but we're going to expand on that area, too. But, but Kenzie, I'm teaching her how to do spreadsheets so she can understand profit and loss. And uh, she's learning the marketing end of it. She's learning the design and the, the uh, you know the creativity part of it and the the day to day you know upkeeping website or whatever. So it's kind of a Kenzie's and mine uh, project together, so that I can teach her how to become an entrepreneur and how to become a business owner and not work for somebody else. So that's that's my big thing with her. And I'm also trying to teach trying to teach um, Joseph something like that too. But like I said, I don't get to see him nearly as much. You know, I, I think that. In this world, we get big on teaching young folks you know, how to build a fire, how to take care of animals and all, and that's great, and I think we should do it. But I think like one of the most valuable things that a young person can learn today, um, and you just hit on it there, is how to develop and use an Excel spreadsheet. And yeah. I think that's awesome. And I think that people, like, I think a lot of adults could benefit from it. Because, like, if you had a job with it, well, then you know. But if you don't, like, most Americans are not like, hey, let me go learn Excel today. Because... <laughs> I find one of the things that, that sinks so many people, whether it's an entrepreneur thing or whether it's a building project thing or something like that, is the numbers in their head are wrong. 
right? They're just wrong. Yeah, like, there's, there's no connection to reality at all. And, you know, you can put garbage into an Excel spreadsheet, but assuming you get some hard facts and, and, and you know how to build a basic computational spreadsheet, you can sanity check anything you want. And then what you always find out is, not that it won't work, what will it take to make it work, and does that make sense? And, and man, I mean, that should be like, you know, we sent a kid to school for 13 years to get out of high school, and, and most of them don't, you know, they might know a little bit about a spreadsheet, but they don't know how to build, you know, sums and, and, and formulas and averages and aggregates in, in a spreadsheet, even though they've learned all this complex high math. And I think it's it's really kind of foolish because if you want to be an entrepreneur, I don't know of a better tool yet. I'm sure somebody will make something a little bit more user-friendly at some point, but to me, to this day, anytime I come up with anything, the first thing I do is sit down and model out a spreadsheet for it. Yeah. I know it's not but exciting, what, but... <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of struck home with her, though, when we started, because I told her, I tried to explain to her what her... her what she was going to get paid from these candles. So, so if I sold a $14 candle, she was going to get like a 10% of that. Of, she had like up to, she could make up to 30% of the profit. And so if she helped pick out the candles or, or you know, the, the cup or she helped pour the glass or, she, or she, whatever it did, you know, it was each 10%, but she could get up to 30% of the profit. She's going, ooh, a $14 candle. I'm going to make this much money. I'm going, no. <laughs> now you have, to, you have to subtract the price of the wax and the price of the, the cup itself. And she's like, oh. <laughs> but it did get yeah, opportunity to show her what, how to do profit and loss. Well, that's important, too, because, like, if you look at this young generation and they seem to think that every business owner's out to get them or something, and, like, They have no idea that product that you just bought for 14 bucks or 10 bucks or 50 bucks. What it actually costs to produce that product and put it in a place where they can buy it, the risk involved, you know, being taxed on just your inventory, all that stuff. The kids don't know that. And you don't have to go too deep with an 11 year old, but getting them on that path, man, kudos to you because, you know, I, I just think about where I'm at. It's a pretty good place. And if, if I had learned that stuff when I was 11, holy crap, I'd be ruling the freaking world by now. Oh yeah, me too. Because I'm just now we're learning together. I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I, I'm trying to learn how to do all this new stuff. And <laughs> my husband looks at me, and goes, "Take a break." I'm going, "No, I got to figure this out." <laughs> just trying to, I'm trying to learn how to build websites and trying to learn how to edit, you know, and just doing all kinds of stuff. But I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty hard headed. I got to learn it. But I sure would have liked to have learned some of this earlier in my life. Yeah, and I think it's easier when you're younger too. It's it's harder to learn new things as we get older. I, I see that in my life, but I do the best I can. And speaking of new things, like one of the things that you're doing that's probably a newer thing for you is you guys have a YouTube channel, right? Yes, we do. We have a YouTube channel called Ellis Family Farms, and that's been that's been an experience. And there was two or three reasons I started that because. My husband had gotten sick. We were stuck. We, you know, we were talking about building house. We were talking about doing this, and we've lived out on this property in a little camper with no running water for three and a half years now. I do now have uh, water down by the spigot, down by the vineyard, and so I haul a lot of water. And in just this last October, we got a a um, when we built the barn, we built a, what they call like a hidey hole for tornadoes and stuff. So we actually built a concrete room. Uh, I think it's about five or six feet wide 
and uh, 10 feet long, something like that. So there's enough room for a shower and a, hot, and a water heater and a toilet and a, and a laboratory. And he's blown it for it. But it, that sat there since 2007, hadn't done anything with it. Like, really, dude, i got to have a place to use a restroom. I need running water, you know, because we're living here now. And uh, so I decided that if I started a YouTube channel, and I make stupid mistakes. You know, I'm trying to learn how to build stuff. I tried to build a, a, a mobile pen. And I, I'm not uh, mechanically inclined, and it's holding together a little good, but it weighs like 300 pounds. It's not exactly mobile. But if I document what I've done, good and bad, you know, what's going on and stuff, I can put it out there. But it's also been particularly good for us to say, all right, this is what we've done. This is how we've moved forward. And it's been an incredibly slow process. I mean, last October, I finally got a flush toilet. And Kinsey and I looked down at the toilet and watched it go, ooh, it's flushing. Wow, that's cool, you know. But it's, it's documenting at least some progress, whether it's slow progress or not. Um, and also because Tom has uh, gone uh, pretty heavily into beekeeping, um, he does. we do a lot of beekeeping videos, and it's almost turning into Tom's beekeeping uh, channel. But that's okay because that's where a lot of my viewers are anyway. And... Uh, but I'd like to be able to expand that and keep the beekeeping videos coming up. But I'm also trying to write a, um, a program or not a program, but like uh, where people can take a course on beekeeping and uh, somewhere down the road in the next couple of years where we can sell a beekeeping course. So if I have enough videos out there, they can say, oh, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. I'll, I'll shell out 50 bucks for his course, you know. So that's a good way of doing that. And... This is another way of teaching my grandchildren how to take care of themselves. I want them to learn that they don't have to work for somebody else. If they put their mind to it, if they think, they learn how to think outside the box or whatever you call it. You know, that's an old saying, but regardless, I don't want them to think that they have to follow the status quo. Because you and I both know the status quo is changing dramatically. We don't know what kind of jobs are going to be out there for when they grow up. And I want them to hit the ground running and if that's what they want to do. Well, you know, but it's, it's been cool. Well, you know, Go ahead. I'll say, well, you know, I mean, the thing about that is, like, I'm really heavy on entrepreneurship, but I always try to say, like, but if you want a job, that's fine, but I, I want you to have one by choice, not by necessity. So yeah, if you true. if you learn basic entrepreneurial skills and you just decide I still want a, I want a steady job, you're actually much better off competing against others because. You come to a business owner like me and you want a job and you have an entrepreneurial attitude and you can show me some things like, you know, when you were a kid you ran a candle shop and you understand profit and loss. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't have to explain to you and there's a whole bunch of entitlement attitude I know you're not going to have and you're going to have a concern level in my business that I generally work so hard to instill in other employees who just can't understand it when you get an entrepreneurial-minded employee, they worry about things like, gee, are we are we generating enough revenue? You know, they pay attention to things like that. Rather than, yeah. you, you know, think of your, 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 your kid over there, right? Well, I'm going to get $14 for this candle. No. <laughs> no. So when they, let's say they get a job where they are, they are farmed out by like an employer, where they are sent somewhere and they're billing the customer $50 an hour and they're getting paid 20 where they're like, oh, I'm getting ripped off. And they have no idea what the overhead on them is. You know, they're, yeah. all that stuff. So I think that entrepreneurship benefits everybody, but boy, I'd, I'd definitely prefer it to having a job. Having a job sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
always thought so. They always okay. tell me what to do, and I wasn't ready to do it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad people do it because there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't get done otherwise. But um, man, it's it's. I always say when people say, "Well, do you have a job?" And I'll tell them about this, and they go, "Sort of like a job. Like, it's better than a real one." You know, <laughs> it's better than a real job. There's still a lot of hours involved. You know, Kenzie oh. will come up visit me, and we run hard. We hit the ground running every morning. And every once in a while, Kenzie says, Grandma, can we just stop for a minute? It's like, no, we got to get stuff done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She's at her house laying around watching uh, videos and stuff all day long and playing video games. And In fact, we don't even hardly watch the television anymore because we're just, we're just too busy. What's your kind of ultimate goal for your property? I mean, like, what do you see it becoming over the next five years or, or what have you? I don't know how long it's going to take me to do this. I do have specific uh, goals I'd like to have. Um, I have to keep in mind that I don't know, as much as I love my husband, I don't know how much he's going to be around. He does. He's not always in good health. He has uh, trouble with the thing called cellulitis in his legs. He runs every, about once every two or three months. He runs a really high fever and gets sick as a dog. And and uh, they put him on strong antibiotics, and he's becoming antibiotic resistant. And uh, uh, so I, I'm trying to figure out how to make my way in life. I will love my husband as long as he's around, but I also have to decide that I've got to figure out how to take care of things without him. And uh, one of the things is, um, and this sounds really strange, but I want a sawmill. And even though we don't have trees where we are, If I have a sawmill, I have friends who are tree trimmers and stuff, and they said, oh, yeah, we'll bring you logs. And I thought, you know what? I can cut my own logs or, and, and make my own place, and, and if that's what I have to build my own house, that's what I will do. And um, we are, we have not built our house yet. We've got a, a floor plan that has a walkout basement that we'd like to do because we are on a hill. We've got beautiful sunsets to the west of us, and uh, the house will face to the west. But in the walkout walkout basement, I think I'd like to even have a certified kitchen. I'd like to be able to set that up. Because we have several ladies in our area who need, who like to make jams and jellies and want to sell them, but I think the nearest certified kitchen is, oh, I don't know. There aren't very many certified kitchens, so I'd like to have that in the walk-in walk basement. And uh, um, the vineyard, I need to do a lot of work on it, but I'd like to beautify it more where, where people can stroll through it. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, Just make it worse more productive, too. In fact, we're not even getting a crop this year. So, you know, and if it doesn't start, if I either beautify the vineyard, I may yank that thing out. We have, we've had that thing for eight years, and it's not done a whole lot of production. But after we build our house, I'd like to uh, maybe build some little cabins and do, like, the Airbnb thing so that I can uh, have people come out and look at our animals and watch our sunset stuff. And this is real pie in the sky, but it'd be really cool since if I'm doing Airbnb, I'd like to have a, like, a restaurant. And with some of our local pork and beef, and and I'm going to find somebody who knows how to uh, garden. And that turned out over to them because apparently I don't know how to garden. But it'd be <laughs> yeah, we have access to all 40 acres, even though we only middle own the 13 and the third acres. So um, I could put the vast majority of that part of them on the 13 acres, but I'd like to be able to access the rest of it and uh, you know do the animals and stuff on it and. We have, and Tom also has other family members that have land that's not being used, and it's still got trees on it, so that's probably a good place to lease with the pigs on it and stuff. But all in all, I would like to be able to do this where I can help lo our local economy. You know, um, we are in a very rural area where the meth addiction is exceptionally high here. People, we're always here about which neighbor is getting arrested and stuff. And I think, and I, the only thing I think of is that they just don't have any hope. 
and it's too hard for them to get into. We live near Tulsa, about 30 miles from Tulsa, and I don't, I don't know. There's just not much for people out here. So if I could do my part to help the local economy, I'd like to do that. And I don't, I don't know that I can, but I will, I'm certainly going to do my very best. Yeah, I think you just hit on something really, really important. I think a lot of these places, my hometown that I grew up in, I talked about deeply yesterday, has become just like my understanding now is you can't not find heroin. When, when yeah. I was, I'm not that old, and when I was in high school, it, I'll, I'll be honest, I, me and my friends smoked some pot here and there. But if you had tried to get a kid to take heroin, In, in the late 80s in, in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, I mean, you couldn't have get it, you couldn't got it done. They just wouldn't have done it, you know, and, and now it's just, it's rampant. And I think it is, I don't know, I look at it this way. My grandfather used to say that, like, he said, well, one day they came and told us a depression started and we didn't notice anything different. And, you know, yeah. and one day they told us it was over and we didn't notice anything different. And I think that, like, There's a lot of towns like that hopelessness is that, you know, it's been around that long or maybe not that long, but it's been decades now of like, it's never going to get any better. There's never going to be any really good jobs. There's never going to be nothing. So you either leave or you stay here. And if you stay here, you got nothing. And I think it takes these community development things to, to make people realize, hey, look, there is something else to do other than either sell heroin, do heroin, or both. And, and I think like... It's so easy to put people down that are in that situation, but, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of what the system has created is, 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 is the reason it's gotten that way. And there's people that don't. I mean, I don't do heroin. I'm sure you don't either. So it's not like everybody does heroin, but, you know, it's easy to get into the, the, the minds of young people with drugs. And, and once it's done, it's very difficult to break that cycle, especially in our climate where instead of treating them like people that are sick and need help, we treat them like... A criminal, and we want to put them in jail for it. So they don't have a lot of incentive to really ask for help. So I'm I'm glad to see you're doing that. So it seems like your your overriding plan is very much you know community development type thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think even another thing I'd like to be able to do is teach people how to can and uh, you know, like in my Sunday school class here a few weeks ago, you know, I said, you know, I'm not going to feed you if anything happens, but I'll teach you how to take care of yourself. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I do want to teach, and, I, and sometimes I want to help women in that area too, because I come from a background, of course not with my my present husband, but I came from a, a, a really abusive background, and uh, so um, I want to I, I I want women to know that they can take care of themselves, they can do their own thing, they can step up and do what it takes to take care of the family and not feel like they have to become a a. Uh, The product of the state or anything like that. I want to show that women can be strong and take care of themselves and not have to rely on somebody else if they don't have to. And I'd like to be able to teach them that. Very cool. Well, what would, you know, your, your, you know, your submission here to be on the show, the, uh, the topic that you gave me was learning to homestead a little later in life. And yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there that say, you know, I just, I don't, I can't do this at this point in my life. And, and it might not just be homesteading. It might be something else. It might be, you know, going back to school. It might be starting a business. What, what would you say to somebody, you know, that's about your age that says, you know, I'm, I'm where I'm at and that's just where I'm at. There's nothing I can do about it. How, how would you respond to that? Oh, I would say unequivocally, just get started anyway. Okay, I'm, I'm 55 now. I don't have the energy that I used to have, but I work real hard to do to, 
to have energy because I realize it's all, all essentially on my shoulders. But you know, if you have a bad day, just suck it up and sit down and, and take a rest, but then get back up. Always keep your dreams in front of you. Always keep a goal in front of you. Always keep working towards something. If you say, okay, one of my favorite analogies is, you know, my life is kind of like a roll of toilet paper, and the older I get, the faster the roll goes. So I am actually in, at my age when everybody else is wanting to slow down. I'm feeling like I'm trying to speed up. I want, I have a lot of stuff I need to get done and want to do before I die, and I want to have that type of thought. Up until I die, I want to. I want to have a reason to get up tomorrow. I want to be able to have a reason to get things done. And because if you if you just accept your role in life, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and play word games or solitaire or watch television, bad television, <laughs> until you die. And and so my my goal is okay. If the toilet paper roll is getting faster as I get along, I better get my butt in gear. You know. Well, well, very cool, and I appreciate you deal, being here with us today. Um, I do have links to uh, your candle shop on Etsy and your YouTube channel in the show notes. Uh, is there any other things that you have online that you'd want me to link to, or is, is that it? I believe that's it. Um, that's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, the, the YouTube channel, uh, I've been using YouTube um uh, editing and and it's not not the greatest and so I'm going to start investing in in a better uh, editing thing. In fact, my granddaughter and I were talking today. She goes, "Well, you know, Grandma, I'd like to edit." And I said, "Great, I'm tired of editing, so I'm going to turn I'm going to try to turn that over to her, so we'll have better quality." That's uh, cool because you're going to need to. I just found out something that makes me sad because I do a lot of just point and shoot video and I just link them together with a YouTube editor. Apparently, it's going away. Um, yeah, that's kind of, yeah. My goal was when I got 100 subscribers, I was going to get it. But it sounds like whether I have 100 subscribers or not, I got to get it done. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't even understand why they would get rid of it. They don't do anything to support it. Just leave it alone. I mean, it's not yeah. like it's resource intensive or anything. Freaking yeah. Google. <laughs> I mean, you have a perfectly valid tool that works, you know, and you're going to take it away from people who are your creators that create the content that you make money with. I, yeah. Uh, you know, but it's a good testament for, you know, having control of your own stuff. Because I do have editing software. I started doing it honestly because it let them use their processing power instead of me use mine. So I could throw it up there, click, click, you know, render, and then just walk away and not worry about it. And it would, you know, I don't have. I could use my computer then and not have to have all its memory being eaten up. And it saved a lot of time, really. But I mean. Yeah, it's going to be one of those things you have to do for yourself, and I think there's a good case to make sure you always have one of those options. Yeah, it's something else to learn, and that's another, you know, if you're learning, you're living. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Well, Thesia, thank you, thank you for being with us today on the Survival Podcast. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I've been following you since about episode 945, I believe, so I've got you in my ear a lot. <laughs> okay, well. Hopefully you'll stay sane with listening to me that much, but but I do appreciate you being with us today. All right, thank you, appreciate it. Well, that was a fun interview and a, and a great perspective to get some uh, some information from, and uh, I think Thesha is doing an awesome awesome stuff out there. Uh, definitely check out their candle store and their YouTube channel. I do have it in the show notes today. 
Uh, here's we end the show again, guys. Remember, if you like this show, one of the ways you can help support us, and it, it's like totally painless. Like it doesn't really cost you anything. Just when you're going to shop online, I want you to go to a, a domain name first, tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And do your shopping through tspaz.com. If you do that, you help support the Survival Podcast no matter what you buy. It's that simple. And you'll see things there like our Amazon Item of the Day review. The Item of the Day review that I have for you today is the Gerber Dime Multi-Tool. Uh, I've had this one around a couple times, but I keep bringing it back because it's such a damn good tool. It's part of my EDC. It's basically like, you know... Leatherman has become the the Xerox of the copier world, right? You know, it's all like a Leatherman, all right? So it's it's kind of like the original Leatherman's. It's a little bitty one though. It goes on your keychain. It doesn't take up much space. If you have a key like a modern key that has like the you know the locks and all built into it, it's no bigger than that. But it has a pair of needle nose pliers, a wire cutter, a fine edge blade, a retail package opener, which I found to be really convenient to have. I thought, ah, oh, maybe I'll use one. No, all the stuff that's in, it, it's really a great tool, and it, it does things other than open retail packaging. You got some little scissors in there, you got a flat screwdriver, you got a crosshead screwdriver, you got a bottle opener, you got tweezers, and you got a file. All this little tool that fits right on your keychain, and folks, they're not expensive. Like, the first time you need something that you wouldn't have had without it, it's paid for itself. They're about... 12 to, to 17 bucks, depending on the color and type that you pick. I like black. I guess everybody else does because that one's like 18 bucks. But uh, you, can get a, you can get a red one if you want a red one for 12.85 right now on sale at Amazon.com. And just remember, guys, whenever you shop tspaz.com, you help support the Survival Podcast. Buy the stuff you're going to buy anyway. Just go there first. It's all you got to do to support the show. All right. Next up, let's talk about our YouTube channel of the day. Um, you know me, man. I like I like cooking, and uh, this channel's sort of a cooking channel, but it really doesn't tell you how to cook. It shows you how to cook. What do I mean by that? The channel is called Almazen Kitchen. I guess is how you would call it. It's either Almazen or Almazan. It's A L M A Z A N Kitchen, and it's really basically like food porn, and it's kind of cool. The guy does all the cooking like out in the forest behind his house or something like that. And he makes a lot, a lot of stuff with meat, like steaks and stuff cooked on rocks. But it, it's like, it's like top quality, high end restaurant final product. But it's all cooked outdoors over open fires and things like that. He doesn't say a word. It's very high production value, but it's all just you just see. It's like watching him do it. Maybe the you know the dog will show up, or he has a pet owl that'll show up, or something like that. But no explanation, just cooking. It's it's pretty cool. Lots, I think like six hundred thousand plus subscribers, or something like that. Again, it's called Amazon or Almazen, I guess is what they're trying to do. I don't know. I just call it Amazing Kitchen, but whatever. Um, they do have a web website too. So I thought I'm gonna put this out. I'm again. Well, Jack, well, how do you make that forest steak or whatever? So I, I went and I just like, Googled the name, Al, Almazen Kitchen, and I found a blog that they have basically all their videos attached to. And uh, they do have a recipe section, and you can go through by the different types, and they actually give like the ingredients and the amounts and stuff like that. So if you see something there and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to cook it on a rock in the woods, but I want to make it myself, you can look up and find the quantities that they did. Okay, that brings us to our song of the day. Our song of the day is by Woody Guthrie. It's called Talking Fishing Blues. And it's kind of a cool song. It speaks for itself. 
And it's a whole genre of music, like talking blues. And uh, it's a pretty interesting genre of music, and it's not one that, that we hear much about anymore. But if you think about it in some ways, it's kind of the original. I hate to say this because I hate most, not all, I hate most rap music. It's kind of the original rap music. It just ain't nothing like it. Um, the song, now, there's a song that I actually really like. I won't be playing it today. Maybe we'll play it at, at some some point. Um, that I, the, What I really like is the the cover by Jimmy Buffett. The original was by Lord Buckley, and it's kind of, I would look at it as the evolution of, you know, the talking blues. It's more monologue-ish in, in a song. And that's like the song that I've known the best, but this song's pretty cool. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I went down to the fishing hole and I sat down with my fishing pole. Some grabbed my hook and they got my bait and they jerked me out in the middle of the lake. Some jumped, I got sunk, baptized on a credit. Fishing down on the muddy bank, I felt a pull and I give a big yank. I hauled out three old rubber boots and a Ford radiator and a Chevrolet coupe. Handed in for national defense. Sitting in a boat with a bucket of beer and I hadn't caught nothing but I didn't much care. I guess I was pretty well satisfied. I had my little lady right by my side. Taking it easy, just waiting. Been gone off that hook for a couple hours. You go fishing, I'll tell you what to do. You go sit down with the greasy slew, take a piece of string and tie it on your pole and throw it way out in the middle of the hole. Find you a good shade tree and then just sit down. Go to sleep. Forget all about it. Jumped in the river and went down deep as a hundred-pound catfish laying there asleep. Jumped on his back and rode in him town. Saddled him up and then I come to town. People come running, looking, dogs are barking, kids are squalling. Stagnate water's a stinking thing, slick on top and all turn green. When the water goes bad, the fish all run. Sit all day and not catch one. Set mud wallopers, jugars, a few little suckers. I waded out to a sandy bar and I caught myself a big alligator gar. I brought him home across my back. Tail was dragging a mile and a half. Flipping and flopping. Sold him for a quarter. Shot crabs. Got in jail. Early one morning, I took me an ocean to go out a-fishing in the middle of the ocean. Throwed out my line, I caught me a shark. I didn't get him home till way past dark. He's a man-eater, tough customer. Just wasn't quite tough enough. Late last night, I had me a dream. I was out fishing in a whiskey stream. Baited my hook with Applejack. Throw out a drink, bring a gallon back. Done pretty good till the creek run dry. So I give my fish back to the finance company.